Pat. How you doing? Good. Sorry about last time. Oh, that's all good. Yosh and I were joking that my just because I work in technology, my family thinks that I can fix the Wi-Fi, make their headphones connect, <laughs> fix their printer. Yeah. And that's just not the case. So I, I understand the technical difficulties. Yeah. You know what? I travel a lot and I'm in various Wi-Fi scenario. But anyway, nice oh, to meet you. Nice to meet you too. I'm so excited to chat today. I think this yeah, is going to be a fun. really awesome conversation. Yeah, be fun. I am so excited to have Pat Kondo on the Frontier Podcast today. Pat is the founder and CEO of Seeker Technologies, which is a search engine that uses AI and ML to learn and analyze news articles to spot incorrect, biased, or false information. With all human knowledge now in the palm of our hands, everyone thinks they're an expert. And this is how my family reunions have been lately. My family has very distinct views, and sometimes these family gatherings can get out of hand. I cannot deny the experience of the flatness. It's on the internet, so it must be true, right? <laughs> the truth is, with so much information, how do you know what's reliable? That's why I use Seeker. Seeker is a transparent, independent search engine that cares about users' privacy. And Seeker gives you balanced information with reliability you can trust. So when your cousin can't stop arguing about that one theory, Help them seek common ground. And Pat, this is not your first company. Pat has founded four tech companies, two of which today are publicly traded. And he's provided advanced search capabilities to the defense and intelligence communities. That's interesting. We actually, we should talk about that. That's what I thought I was going to be doing for a living. He's been an executive at DEC, Harris Semiconductor, and Northrop where he's had a hand in two of the largest technical programs in U.S. history, which are the MX Missile Program and the Space Shuttle. That is so cool. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Everybody loves that. They don't care about anything else. Do people often tell you that they're starstruck when they're talking to you? Uh, Well, that's ironic because uh, (laughs) it's uh, it's kind of (laughs) funny. I'm a sucker for a space joke. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> no, that's always the first thing they always ask is they could care less about everything. And they say, what, what, is that really the case? And actually, it was. It it, uh, it was fascinating. I mean, um, it was one of those things where, you know, you just have, you're just at the right place at the right time where um, I did something that was valuable to, uh, you know, figuring out uh, navigation systems. And at the time, they didn't have the computing capability yeah. they had today. So figuring out how to uh, guide a rocket 8,000 miles and get between the goalposts, they used to say, of a, of a city or whatever, or take a rocket or a space shuttle to the moon. How did you do that without the computing power you had today? So there was a lot of, you know, mathematics. There was a lot of, um, you know, interesting uh, experiments that were tried. But um, yeah, I did end up working on the on the space shuttle, and uh, I saw its first launch, which was cool. actually spectacular because um, they don't do this anymore. But you used to be able to get within uh, a mile of where the launch would occur, wow. and what you would see is that as the rocket took off the, for the very first time, it's strapped to the back of a Saturn missile. It's like six hundred feet tall. You know, it'd be like an earthquake came. Then there would be like a sound waves hit where you would just be blown back. And then when it when but but the part that everybody laughs about is when I tell the story of when the huge fuel tanks fell into the ocean, it created sort of a 
tidal wave um, back onto the beach where there was millions of people and it was all filled with dead fish because they were boiled alive by the tanks. Oh my God. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so that when people... sounds just traumatizing on so many levels. Yeah, I but can't that was imagine. my experience. <laughs> I would be scared to see whatever you had to sign uh, to say yeah. that, you know, you wouldn't see them. That is, that's crazy. Yeah. Today, I mean, oh my God, they'd be, everybody would be up in arms over that, <laughs> but it, it cracked windows for 60 miles. Wow. That's, that's how wild. powerful like the blasts were. It's all more refined now, but um, it, it, it was quite an experience. And uh, yeah, I was, I was like 27 years old, so it was fun. Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm not too far from 27 and I, I think I'm just old enough to say that's not fun for me. I, <laughs> I also have a thing with space. It's the joke here on the team that you can't talk to Faith about space. Really? Which is weird because I've got like a UFO poster in my office. Oh, yeah. there you go. It just makes me, I think because I'm so selfish that the idea that the universe is actually massive and I don't matter makes me... It gives me the heebie-jeebies. So. Oh, so do you always, so there's a, there's one question they say mm. people have always asked since the beginning of time. Are what you, is it? Are we alone? That's true. What's your question? What's your answer? You know, I don't think it's possible that we're alone, right? There's got to be something. This took a turn, Pat. I wasn't <laughs> expecting to talk about aliens, but. No, no, no. We're not talking about aliens because I think it's, uh, it's just an interesting question about, uh, you know, the, the, the constant drive, the curiosity that people mm-hmm. have that drives the science, that drives everything that you have and do today and where you're going to go. It's without that curiosity, there's, there's, no, there's nothing to drive you. And I think that's what, you know, a really uh, important part of uh, anything that, you know, that, that if you're going to be in, in this kind of a um, environment where you're pushing the envelope on technology in any in any dimension it's that curiosity factor and i i think that's that's one of the things that humans have and if they they, that i always look for speaking of curiosity you you've seen a lot in your career obviously not just not just what we're talking about but yeah through that career what are some of the things that you saw or worked on that inspired you to pursue what you're now building at seeker well there was two things um so one was um, when I first started out building search platforms, um, I ended up uh, in somewhere around 97. Um, I ended up purchasing a company in Columbia, Maryland, that was uh, had about 30 scientists and technologists that worked for the NSA. Mm. And at that point in time, I began to understand quite a bit about how uh, intelligence and uh, around the world operated and how the all the different threats that existed that people in this country weren't really aware of and they go about their daily business not knowing you know what the rest of the world thinks about them and so I, I built that company and uh, in four years we sold it to Intel Corporation and I thought that was it for me. I thought, wow, that was really great. We sold it for like 1.2 billion when that really mattered. Mm-hmm. And um, then billions I, still matter to me, Pat. <laughs> they still matter to me. <laughs> then, uh, then, but then what happened? Of course, is we had the uh, dot com uh, meltdown, and and then 9/11. And 9/11 is where um, what really affected me from uh, that point forward. Where um, I I then started a second company that became public, that was one of the largest 
um, technology companies for the, you know, the defense and intelligence um, world in search. And so if you think about Google as being kind of the front door, we were a Google that was in the back door where we were just sucking everything in and analyzing everything and allowing people to do investigations and take action to, you know, to protect the country. Mm. But what I learned in all of that was that there are, um, there are, there's an offense and a defense in terms of, you know, information warfare and the offense that, um, that was being deployed that we were deploying was how do you identify terrorist organizations? How do you track them? How do you destroy them? And there's two ways. There's the um, psychological way and there's the physical way. And usually we, the psychological way was far more effective. And what you would do is you would go in and you would identify, disrupt, create chaos, cause confusion, have them turn on themselves, and eventually it would collapse. Mm -hmm. um, so I learned a lot about how that all worked. And where it took me with Seeker is if you fast forward to 2016, 2017, the same exact technologies are being deployed against Americans. Right. And those were things like that came from Cambridge Analytica, which was a psychops operation that was actually, you know, breaking up um, uh, different intelligence cells around the world. That was being used on Americans. And I said, you know, people ought to be aware that the, that these techniques, these psychological techniques are being deployed and people are not aware. Mm -hmm. And it really wasn't until, um, you know, I could tell people all the time and everyone would say, oh, that's a very small percentage until then that um, Netflix show Social Dilemma came out. And all of a sudden people started to say, wait a second, look at this, look at that. And people from Facebook and people from Google and people from other, you know, Twitter, et cetera, began to talk about how they used what I would call your cognitive bias to drive you to pay attention or to have a reaction or to create an emotion, which would then you would confirm over and over and over again. And then I could sell you whatever I wanted to sell you. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'd know more about you than uh, anybody close to you. At some point, I could predict what you were going to do. And right. that's how those technologies work. They're fine in a rational world, but what people don't realize is that um, outside state actors, nation states adopt the same kind of technologies, far more advanced. How do they use those? And what we see over the last five, six years is that we have what I would call a payload of news and information that's supercharged with an emotion. And that emotion's been anger. And mm -hmm. that's been used to divide the country and the more and more that that anger emotion can be charged in a headline, in a story, in a, in a broadcast, on social media, the more it accomplishes the objectives of uh, countries that don't, you know, wish that our democracy exists. And it's growing at an ever increasing pace. And my fear is that um, these companies are so big that have business models depending upon this that, you know, that it gets watered down. Uh, and that's been the case for years. But if you look at in the last year, any poll that you do shows more than 50% of the people do not believe the news. 50% mm -hmm. of the people don't trust their health organizations. And 50% of the people don't trust the government. Now you're getting into a, a place where if you step back a little bit, those are the moments in times where revolts, revolutions, um, 
dictatorships, different kinds of things occur. And I'm not saying at all that that could happen, but we're increasingly going towards more chaos than less. Right. More disorder than order. More where there's no toleration and where they there's a separation. And that's not good. Right. That It doesn't take long where it, it progresses at, 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 a, at a rate that becomes uncontrollable. And part of what I think is really interesting is that we've now taken what I would call, I don't know, a cracked foundation. And instead of trying to fix it, we're building a skyscraper on it called ChatGBT, where you can create un- unlimited amount of content that you don't know the source, you don't right. know the depth, the breadth, you don't know. And now there are derivatives that are coming from countries that are building these on platforms that can, you know, just completely flood an already polluted infrastructure. And, you know, people like us, we have critical thinking skills, but how about young people? That's my concern. Yeah, it's and it's a founded one, right? Um, I mean, the question is, people feel more comfortable when they're surround when they're basically in an echo chamber, right? Yeah. And but we know that in order to maintain our social fabric, it's exactly what you just described. People need to be exposed to unbiased information. They need to be exposed to opinions that differ from their own. And that's really uncomfortable. And we don't like it. Like not only are our corporations incentivized to create these echo chambers, but humans are incentivized to stay in them. And so my question for you is what can be done to promote the use of tools like Seeker to combat that kind of behavior? Well, so there's two aspects to it that I think. One is that in this age that we live in, um, somebody like, like me is not popular, not, you know, 100 million views on Instagram. And so, not yet, Pat. Not yet. But, <laughs> but, we'll get but, Yosha on it. <laughs> but you have to find those kind of people because that's how you communicate with the huge audience that exists. They, for, for the last 10 years, they have been the, the people that bring the trends, the people that have bring the opinions, the people that kind of form young people's, I don't know, points of view. Mm. They've gone away from traditional, you know, existing paths and they've gone more towards that. And they find themselves um, following those people. And that's why they're called followers, right? Mm-hmm. And so, the, so what we thought was, how do we find people that have a big voice that, but are not political? Because that's not what we want to be. It's easy to find political people, but it's hard to find somebody that's looking just to be uh, educate the masses on media literacy or trying to be as unbiased as possible. And so we picked two people to start. One is we picked Tony Robbins, hmm. who um, more about a massive audience of business and marketing, and about but is no political overtone to it. And he's got literally tens of millions of followers. Right. Now, on the other side, we said, who can we get that young people would follow? But again, not political. And we, uh, we've we signed up with um, an adventurer on Discovery Channel who's very popular called Bear Grylls. Cool. And so Bear Grylls has about 70 million kids around the world that follow everything he does. And so what he does is he's always built physical toughness and 
you know, overcome a challenge in the in the wild and survival skills. Now he's focused on the mental survival skills, mental toughness and how to how if you feel something's not right, examine it yourself. Take a look Mm -hmm. around. Look at a few sources. Don't fall into the echo chamber. Don't be bullied because that's what's happening today. It's like if you don't fit, you don't fit. And that's it's even more so now than ever before. And social media can be the biggest, you know, it can be a huge benefit, but it can be the biggest harassment tool on the planet, too. Mm -hmm. So we pick these two ends of the spectrum, one to get corporate CEOs and the corporate audience and the other to get young people. And they're going to bring out Seeker. They're going to start talking about it. They're using it everywhere. And we're more and more going to roll out programs because that allows us to get up above the fray a little bit and start to get noticed. And so that's one of the things that we're trying to do. And we're trying to find other people like that. And I think we'll find them because once they start to see what we do and what we're what we're trying to accomplish, I think there'll be um, quite a bit of interest in it. And we've got this election coming up. And I don't know if you remember before the last election, um, there's a whole host of people that think, oh, Silicon Valley is pushing the vote one way or the other. Mm. So they went out and they looked for alternatives. They couldn't find many. And mm-hmm. so they found DuckDuckGo, which went from kind of obscurity. All of a sudden, everybody focused on Billboards, it. Billboards, yeah. yeah. Yeah, all that, right? They went to Telegram, which was like, uh, you know, most people had WhatsApp. All of a sudden, Telegram blew up. And, mm-hmm. you know, so, so these kind of, and then Twitter went the other way. So all these different things have occurred because people are looking for, um, yeah, they're looking, the extremes are looking to get, you know, the 20% of the people want to be 80% of the voice, but Mm. there's more people in the middle, more people looking for choice, more people would rather say, I want to know what's credible, not what is politically charged or what, yes, I could be even in an echo chamber myself, but I like to look at a lot of things. I don't just believe one thing anymore. Right. And even, you know, I have these discussions all the time with my brothers and sisters or my wife or whatever. They're all like, well, how can you take a look at what CNN is saying? Or how can you look at Fox is saying? I said, because there are some semblances here that each side is right about something. Now, I know what the deal is. They only show what they want to their audience. But if mm. you thread a couple of these together, sometimes you get the you get the big picture and it's a very different picture. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's such an incredible tool to just develop empathy yeah. for folks and in a country that's become so stratified where we assume that if someone doesn't agree with us, it's because, well, they must be crazy. <laughs> right. So being, I, I appreciate using Seeker because I can see, okay, here's the story that I read. What's the story that somebody else yeah. read and how yeah. are we, how are we both approaching this? This true event from two very different understandings of of what actually happened. It, it's um, amazing, isn't it? I mean, yeah. um, I've picked some of the biggest issues over the last couple of years, and I almost think I'm in a different country. Even the, you know, we did quote extraction because mm. one of the things that is very popular in disinformation is to distort a quote, and mm-hmm. quote extraction is really hard to do. And but we were the first persons to do it because we felt it was important because a quote isn't always one sentence. It's not one punchline. It's three sentences. It's four sentences. The quote is very big. And most of the time they don't get covered. And by taking the first sentence and the third sentence, I can make the whole thing different. 
Yeah. I'll have to, when we're done recording, Pat, I'll tell you about the time that I was misquoted on Lester Holt. Really? Um, yeah. <laughs> wow. And sometimes it's on purpose, by the way. It's not, it's not really, it's for the, it's for the audience. Exactly. Yeah. And it's a, about making the story buzzier. Yeah, that's it. So, I mean, we're recording this at a really relevant time because it, no matter where you look, there's AI and there's ML and the news. There's been a lot. You mentioned ChatGPT over the last three months. A lot has become accessible to the general public. And with that is a, a more widespread understanding of like, you know, this stuff is really cool, but we have to be very careful about how we're training AI and ML to absorb human biases, right? Right. And you mentioned, I hadn't thought about, you know, the the intentional use of these tools to drive drive public sentiment um, in a biased way. So I'm curious if you see a future where where AI and ML tools, which of course Seeker is is based on AI and ML technologies, where they're regulated to reduce bias, or do you think that that will always be up to the individuals building the technology to to address that? You know, it's a question that is um, constantly been in the industry. If you go all the way back to the motion picture industry, mm. where there was a time when what is the definition of an R movie versus an X movie versus PG, PG-13? And nobody could figure it out. And so people were upset about, oh, I don't want to see nudity. Oh, I don't care. It's not nudity. It on and on. And the government threatened to regulate it. So the movie industry was smart enough to say, you know what, we better do this before the government regulates, mm. because once the government regulates it, our freedoms are gone and we can't really do the creativity starts to go away. And pretty soon, um, you know, you get that's become censorship. So I think where we are is a very similar point. Music's the same way. It, and, and all the so all the creative discourse, you know, you recall people banning books and on and on and on. Right. All these things are happening. And I think where we are today with ChatGPT is if we, the industry in AI and machine learning, we don't regulate ourselves, it will get regulated. And once it gets regulated, it changes everything. And I think that there's a point in time where, okay, this sort of new technology bursts that occur, they're evolutionary, they slowly come out, then they all of a sudden accelerate. And, and before they hit steady state, there's this the issue about what problem do they solve? What kind of issues do they create? And that's the point to catch it, because once it starts to exaggerate and starts to get out of control, once you bring the government in and we can see now that on both sides of the political spectrum, everybody wants to regulate something. Mm. And it's like if the industry doesn't adopt something then it's going to squeeze the creativity out of it. So I think that it, I think that, you know, phase one is always this burst of here's all the new stuff. And then phase two is, Oh my God, how do we, how do we deal with it? And I think we're rapidly approaching that phase. And I think that's where seeker can come in where um, we don't own one of those networks. So we're independent. Um, we are a commercial company. So everybody knows what we're doing. We're not a government agency. We're not a nonprofit that some, that really isn't, you know, nonprofit. It's, and we're not funded by any political group or any of those kind of things. So I think the timing for all this is really good. I think um, 
if if it goes too much further and we start to see the election approach, my prediction is all sorts of nation states will start to really confuse everything. And then the government's going to go, you know what, we have a huge problem here. You know, this is like a national um, security issue. Right. And we're going to we're going to do all these things. Then it's going to change everything. So I think it's going to I think it, we'll see something, you know, happen. Right. The other piece of, of regulation that isn't maybe government mandated, but, you know, secret adheres to journalistic standards. Yeah. And I think anytime you're building in that space, you're going to have some challenges with, you know, how do you address that? Um, and so I'm curious, what has that experience been like building Seeker and trying to do so in a way that adheres to those standards? There's kind of two pieces to this. One is that we looked at standards in journalism and there was some, you know, there's, there's dozens of them that are just extremely sensible. And mm. we said, you know what, let's, let's build a, a um, technical model of those. So things like, um, does the headline match the body? Is there a byline? Um, those kind of things were, you know, the technical structure um, is the spelling right? All those kind of things, right? Because all those sort of lead to credible, not credible. But then the part that we wove in there that's new is there are about 350 known cognitive biases that people have. Yeah, how wow. do you how do you take those and create them in a software program that then combine with these journalistic principles? And when they see a particular article, they all fire off and they say, I see the presence of these things. Mm. And so the presence of something like, um, okay, the first step, does the headline match the body? Half the time it doesn't. But then you see things like, hey, is this, are there ad hominem attacks? How many unknown sources are cited? Are, is there confirmation bias built in? Is there some other bias, gender or religious or age? How, how do you pick all that up? Are there certain words that are dog whistles mm. for certain groups? And before you know it, you start to see the presence of these things. And anyone, any journalist would say, oh, my God, well, the presence of all those things would indicate really poor journalism or, you know, something that is just not credible right. because it's the person is trying to influence you in ways that that don't conform to the presentation itself. They're, they're just false. It's a false narrative. Mm -hmm. And so we're trying to identify, we go from two steps of proto narrative, which is here's an article, here's what it looks like to now a moving narrative, which is far more complicated, which is you and I are having a dialogue and occasionally we veer off path. And how do I know that I'm not taking you down a path to now convince you of something that you hadn't really thought of before? And now I'm swaying you in a particular dimension. And you're sitting there saying, you know what? I never thought of that. I think I'm going to go there. And then your next caller you get on with and you convince them to go yeah. down that path. Right. Now, how do I track that narrative? Because that's that's one of the more destructive things that false that that nation states can do. Mm. And that's where things are headed. So. So the so we we look at static, but then we look at the moving narrative, and we look at it spatially. We look at frequency. We look at all that. Pat, I got to tell you, I a million years ago I studied uh, international relations and Middle Eastern studies for um, for my undergrad, mm -hmm. and I feel like I'm getting a refresh of just about every <laughs> seminar I took on <laughs> nation building and democratization. Um, 
Final question. Colonialism. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, final question for you. Pat, are you from New York? Boston. Boston. Man, I'm from Buffalo. Okay. And I feel like I can never get the Long Island and Boston accents straight. Are you still based in Boston? No, I live in um, Northern Virginia now. I moved oh, cool. on when I took over that company that was involved in defense and intelligence. So I've been here for 27 years. Wow. I've got a lot of people in my life from Nova. Oh, really? Yeah, including Mr. Faith, who now lives here in Nashville with oh, me. Oh, <laughs> very cool. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's a, it's an incredibly growing area for, yeah. for you know, so it's been, it's been good. It's cool. My, my aunt and uncle are up there and they just, they bought a ski place in uh, Pennsylvania. I'm oh, like, really? cannot believe that that's what we're doing. Not much days, skiing so. in Pennsylvania. No, no. That's what I hear. Pat, thank you so much for joining us. This conversation has been so interesting. Like I said, I feel like I'm back in college. Um, <laughs> if folks listen and, and they want to reach you or the team at Seeker, where should where can we direct them? You can direct them to, um, let's see, Seeker.com, where they can download the product. Or they can go to uh, Yosha, for, you know, at Marathon. Um, or they can reach you at Picondo at Seeker.com. Excellent. All right. Well, we'll include those resources in the show notes. I really appreciate it. Uh, And thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Yeah, this was fun. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io. We drop two episodes per week. So if you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice and come hang out with us again next week and bring all your internet friends. If you have questions or recommendations, just shoot us a Twitter DM at the Frontier Pod. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.